quick note about today's episode. We will be spoiling the entire film. So if you care to watch, so if you haven't seen the film and don't want to spoil it for you, maybe uh, hit the pause, go watch the film, then come back. Welcome to the very second episode of Surviving Chick Flicks. My name is John. My name is Sammy. All right. And if this is your first episode, uh, we're a podcast that takes on chick flicks. What is a chick flick? Well, it's any film that runs into that is under one of three categories. Number one, any film marketed to women in a pandering way. Number two, any film with a strong female lead or any film written and or directed by a woman. And I think we've got both one and two simultaneously on today's episode as we, yeah, as, as we take on the 2016 film, The Choice. We're going to drop the trailer right here and then we're going to, I'm going to make Sammy introduce this one. <laughs> now pay attention because I'm about to tell you the secret to life. Ready? The whole damn thing is about choices. Excuse me. Hey, you're my new neighbor, aren't you? Yeah. Well, I'm Travis. What are you so angry about? Your dog knocked off my dog. I take full responsibility. I've talked to him so many times about using protection. Oh, my God. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Hey, big brother. Who's that? New neighbor bothering the heck out of me. Uh-oh. What? A chance encounter of circumstance. Can you open my puppies? Oh, the puppies. Gabby, we're all good now. What am I going to do with all you guys, huh? Thank you, Travis. I think that's the first time you said my name. Okay. Travis, this is Ryan McCarthy, my boyfriend. Hey. Hi. Don't make a thing out of it. I know you. And my big brother does not like it when things don't come easy. I have a confession. My friends like you better than they like me. I was afraid that was gonna happen. You are in so much more trouble than I thought. Why do you make it so hard for me to flirt with you? If I made it easy, you wouldn't flirt anymore. What are you doing? Walking towards you real slow. Why? Because if I ran, I'd scare you. I didn't do that. Because you bother me. tell him? We never talked about what this was. It just happened so fast, we got caught up. I love you. Well, I don't love you. Oh, hush, you do too. Mom! Knew it the second you set your eyes on him. Whose side are you on anyway? So come on now, Travis, swallow your pride, because that's all any woman wants, is a man who's gonna fight. Where is she? Where's Gabby? She's gone. Where? She left because of you. Like I was saying, every path you take leads to another choice. Come back to me, baby. Come bother me. Some choices could change everything. I should have been there. It's not your fault, Travis. Every moment of the rest of your life hangs on him. Gabby! All right. So... We've been socially distancing every time we do the show. Like I'm in, I'm in my little bunker, and Sammy's wherever. But she is so socially distanced this week. She's in another, t- she's in another time zone because I think she knows I was going to come after her for the, her choice of film this week. No pun intended. Well, you know, I had to protect myself. Although to be fair, to be fair, this was your choice, uh, pun intended, and. I'm just introducing it because it is one of my favorite Nicholas Sparks film. Spoiler alert for whether or not I survive. Yeah. <laughs> Showing your hand early, huh? So, so yeah, so we talked a little bit about last week about, um, I think we had mentioned that this was going to be the episode where I talked about the genesis for this film. And why don't you tell them about what, what the film is about? And then we'll get into why this is the reason I wanted to do this show. Okay. 
So uh, the choice in a uh, film in 2016 is about Travis and Gabby who first meet as neighbors in a small coastal town in North Carolina and wind up in a relationship that is tested by life's most defining events. Oh, did they watch this movie too? Because <laughs> I was certainly tested. So, uh, so you kind of mentioned it. We talked about it a little bit last episode, but... John, why, what, did it, what is it about this movie that kind of was the genesis for this uh, podcast idea? Okay, so I've mentioned that I, I call myself a, a semi-unprofessional critic. And, that, and what that means is I used to be paid to write film reviews. And this is a film I had to review. And I went into a lot of films kicking and screaming. Like, I don't want to see this, but I'm being paid to do it, so... But I also give every film a chance. And I was, you know, watching it, not expecting, you know, Godfather, Heat, anything like that. But, you know, I, I try to, I do try to give every movie I watch a fair chance. And I do try to look for things I like versus just nitpicking everything to death. And I was kind of rocking along with this film. I'm like, yeah, it's pretty rote. You know, it's pretty, you know, cliche. Some of the things we saw coming a mile away. It's, I was like, this is a good, tight, little 90-minute, you know, romantic drama. And then, like, all of a sudden, there's a fourth act to this movie that just kind of went off the rails, and I lost it. And I had... And the only, and I had to find someone to talk to about it, and I had no one. And I was just like, okay, I'm going to do a show just specifically so I can talk about this ending. So we could technically call it quits after today. I just. <laughs> uh, and who better than, you know, someone who can probably wax poetic on any Nicholas Sparks movie ever made. And that disturbs me. But then again, I, I can talk, you know, about other films <laughs> so poetically that we're not going to get into today. Speaking of which, um, I have to tell you when story time for a second, when you texted me asking me what the Nicholas Sparks film was, uh, where the guy, spoiler alert, the guy died and gave his heart to the woman's daughter. It took me all of five seconds. I did not have to look it up. I immediately <laughs> knew what that film was. So in the amount of time it took me to text you, you just knew that. Meanwhile, yeah, my aunt was... All right, so my aunt swore she saw this movie and even bought multiple copies when uh, uh, Hastings was closing because they were like two bucks. And she like gave my mom a copy and gave her several others. And I was mentioning it uh, my dad's birthday dinner last night that we were going to do this episode. And my aunt just starts describing this plot. And I'm just like, is this a real movie or a dream you had? Because... And I was like, wait, let me text the expert. That was literally what I said in the room. <laughs> yeah, it literally took me. I mean, I didn't even have to think about it because I remember seeing that movie in the theaters. And it was, a, it was a good movie and all, but I was not a huge fan. It's definitely not one of my favorite of his movies. Um, but to be fair, on... Nicholas Sparks movies will blend together after a while. Yeah. So why don't we get into uh, a little bit of what I call the history lesson and talk about how we got to this point in that this is a movie that exists. So uh, my nemesis, if you will, is one Nicholas Charles Sparks. He is a novelist. He's a screenwriter and he's written 21 novels. And thank God, only like 11 of them have been committed to film. So I have a little bit of a break at a certain point in my life. <laughs> but uh, he's probably best known for the notebook or the memes that came from the notebook, depending on <laughs> whether or not you saw that movie. Um, and this is, and I've only seen two of his films to date, and it's this one and the notebook. Yeah. And, oh, well, and so honestly, as we go through this, because I think we have a, uh, a fair, a fair amount of Nicholas Sparks on our on our list of movies we're going to review. Thanks, God to, help me. Thanks to yours truly. Um, so I will save my 
I'll save my list. So when we go through a movie, I'll, I'll say what number it is on my list of his movies. Um, but, you know, I mean, I haven't read a lot of his books. I did read The Notebook. And as good of a movie as that is, it's really not that great of a book. I mean, I know a lot of people are going to disagree with that. But I actually, it's one of the few movies where I preferred the movie to the book. So I don't know if that I, says something about his writing, but. Well, and I've never heard anyone, anyone describe Nicholas Sparks as a great author. But typically, I, what I hear is, I read that book, I cried. And so really what Nicholas Sparks is, is he's less a writer and more of an emotional terrorist. Because I'm basing this simply on two films. And all of his films seem to be designed to do one thing and one thing only, and that is pound you in your seat at the theater and make you cry. That is not true. That is, I mean, okay, well, <laughs> I'm going to retract that statement. To a degree, it's true, but Nicholas Sparks has two categories of films uh, that I've discovered. Terrible after, and worse. After copious research. Uh one kind of film he has is his film that it's it's going to put you through the ringer, but it has a happy ending. And then he's going to have his film that puts you through the ringer, but doesn't exactly have a happy ending, but more of a cathartic ending. So you, you come out of the movie, most of his movies feeling somewhat at peace, the notebook being one of the, the best examples of that. And I tend to not be a fan of his movies that have a not happy ending, yeah. barring my number one on this list. So I, I was um, so this week I watched the first twenty minutes of this movie four times, and that's not showing my hand on the episode, uh, you know, and how I feel about it. It just has more to do with life. This week has just been <laughs> like I've had no free time. This is my first free time in a little in I think since we last recorded, but you know I finally got to watch the movie again. In its entirety today, and as I'm watching it, I I have a different category. I do want to put Nicholas Sparks, particularly the movies I've seen, and it's kind of a blend of melodrama and exploitation, but a different kind of exploitation. Like you know, in the '70s, we had black exploitation, nun exploitation, like all the different like groups got their own exploitation. And I think with his, I would call them chicksploitations because they seem to be completely designed for a female audience. I'm sorry if there are male Nicholas Sparks fans out there and, you know, you're offended, but it's the best I could do on the fly. But it has a degree of exploitation in the sense that it's trying to get a certain reaction out of you. Now, most exploitation is trying to get shock and gross out. And this is trying to get you to the place where cry and it's not a bad thing i'm just saying that could be a good genre term that we can lump him into is chick exploitation yeah well you know what i would I, I think it's honestly kind of fair to say that uh coming from someone who's seen i want i think i have seen all of the movies that were made i might be wrong but i think i don't think i've missed any of them this is probably his least exploitative movie if, if going by your definition in the sense of I mean I guess it's trying to get you to cry but really with how the movie ends I, I guess it's just going back and watching it knowing how it ends I didn't I didn't get that emotional turmoil that you go through in his other movies yeah well and just because you know it's dubbed an exploitation film doesn't necessarily mean it succeeded in what it was going for so, and, and I, and I don't, like I said, I don't necessarily say that as a bad thing, you know, like I would, I would probably put Terms of Endearment in exploitation. That movie's classic. Um, but, and I called it melodrama, but maybe not melodrama in like the way that a lot of us, you know, that are heavily into film kind of think of melodrama because a lot of melodrama has a lot of tongue in cheek and a little bit of degree of camp to it. And this doesn't really have that, but it does have that over the top. This only happens in a movie kind of, kind of goings on. So why don't we get to the uh, cast of characters that brought us to this? Um, 
this movie was directed by a guy named Ross Katz, and I had a look see at him because that name didn't ring a bell. And I was looking him up, and this guy has been a player in film since like the early '90s. He he abandoned a career in radio and then got his start working as a grip on uh, Reservoir Dogs for Quentin Tarantino, and then kind of helped usher in uh, a little bit of the queer film movement from like the late, late 90s. Uh, his first rattle out of the box as a producer was a rom-com called Trick, which I heard a lot about. I've never actually seen it, but it was basically one of the, I wouldn't say maybe the first gay romantic comedy, but it was one that was getting a lot of like buzz in the late 90s and particularly because it didn't have like a sad, tragic ending. So, but he's gone on to direct uh, three films to date, uh, this being his third and most recent, but he also did an HBO movie with Kevin Bacon called Taking Chance, which was basically, it was based on a true story about uh, a Marine uh, taking the body, uh, the body of uh, a fellow Marine that was killed in action cross country to be buried. So Kevin Bacon was in it. I, I never saw it, but again, heard a lot of great things about it. Do what? I said, what is Kevin Bacon not in? Well, he wasn't in this movie. Instead, I'm looking over the cast, and it's just like uh, three pretty women, uh, a stand-up from Georgia who, who has the worst-sounding Georgia accent ever. Sad because it's his own. And then Tom Wilkinson slumming it. And Smallville's Tom Welling, or as I called him, Tom Swelling, because he didn't have a neck anymore. No, I have to say, I you know, my I've never really been a big fan of Southern accents, which is which is weird being from the South. Um, he single-handedly changed my mind about Southern accents. I quite enjoyed it, um, barring the fact that when it got too bad, it definitely ruined a couple key points of the movie, which we'll get later, uh, which we will get to later. But it ruined a couple key points in the movie for me. I can just picture you on set. I just could picture you on set, like, hey, Ben. Uh, your voice, you know, your that thing you were born with, it's like running the scene. Can you do anything different? <laughs> I, I feel like something had to be done because it, it, there, I have found in years of watching chick flicks that there's a level of cheese that I enjoy. And if it goes too far, that's when, that's when it takes the, it takes the feels out of the moment and I'm no longer enjoying the cheesiness. And so the couple in part, important parts of the movie that I would have loved because of his accent, just amped up the cheese factor to a level I could not take. Yeah. I, I know I looked it up. I was just like, is that his real voice? Oh, it is. Oh God. <laughs> well, I don't know. It, did you hear him? Did you, have you heard him talk outside? Because it may have, it may have been his real voice, but he may have been um, exaggerating it. Maybe so. I, I actually looked him up. His name's Ben Walker, who plays Travis Shaw, our lead. He's actually a stand-up as well. Like, he performs a lot in New York, and I'm like, I've never heard of you outside of this. So, why don't we talk about the actual movie? Um, so, the movie's about Travis and Gabby, their neighbors. Uh, Travis, he's kind of... Um, would you call him non-committal or just in a rut? Because everyone in this movie is just like, you know, from his sister to his dad to his friends who, uh, do they have names? I'm, if so, I never heard them said in the movie. <laughs> uh, you know, if I had to describe him, I would say non-committal is a, is a better word than in a rut. I definitely think he's very non-committal. I think he's a caricature. I think he's kind of like this archetype and that I've seen in a lot of other uh, romantic comedies and chick flick movies. It's just, um, he's, he's a good old boy with Southern charm who um, gets what he wants. The, the best way I could describe it is I'm watching this movie and I'm sitting there going, this movie is part of the reason that young girls grow up thinking that they have to play hard to get. I, I, I guess, I mean, well, I, I see him more as in a rut because, you know, the way the, he came off to me is 
he's looking for his other half, not trying too hard, but he just keeps uh, getting into this on again, off again thing with his high school sweetheart, um, Monica, played by Baywatch's Alexandra Daddario. I know she's done other things, but she was in Baywatch, the movie. But, you know, I, I kind of just see him as in, okay, I haven't found what I'm looking for. Oh, Monica's back. I guess this is what I'm doing now. And when he meets Gabby, played by, um, oh, God, I'm blanking on her name, Teresa Palmer, Teresa Palmer. Um, uh, she, she she comes along, and he's just kind of, and it's kind of like the you know the spark that he's been looking for. And you know the movie does that whole thing like he's a you know good old boy from the south, and she's a nursing student that's uptight and cl- listens to classical music and doesn't like rock and roll, and she insults Black Betty by calling it awful, and I I, I took great issue with that. <laughs> I think that's a very interesting take because I think that the movie spends uh, kind of a great deal of effort painting this picture of him as someone who, like his sister said, someone who didn't like anything he had to work for because he was used to getting things handed to him. So, you know, that's kind of interesting because it may have been that his friends and family's perception of him was a little off, but I felt like the movie kind of, uh, it kind of lent itself to that because he, while he was interested, he wasn't really interested until she started saying no. Yeah, well, I saw him as kind of interested in, in the beginning because as I've seen the first 20 minutes, you know, now four times, uh, five counting the time I saw it in theaters, he's checking her out and on the rewatches, She's kind of checking him out, but, you know, they're, they're kind of, there's an attraction from the beginning, no matter what, you know, it's just a little bit of the lady and the man both doth protest too much. Well, that is true, and it is something that his sister picks up on right away. It's not something that they try to hide, which I enjoyed. His sister, uh, played by Maggie Grace, she was one of my favorite parts of the movie because I she was kind of the best friend role that she was just very intuitive and she was unafraid to tell him what she thought. But I have to say, it occurred to me, I don't know if you noticed, but I did not know her name until I looked it up on IMDb because I don't remember him ever saying his sister's name in the movie. I, I, if it's in there, it's a dropped line, which in a way I do kind of like that where it's just like, hi, this is Stephanie, my sister, Stephanie. Like, I hate expository dialogue like that. And I think the name is dropped. Uh, I can't remember it. I can't. But it's also like his friends. I clearly do not remember any time. It's just like, uh, white friend, what friend of color. That's that's all they are there to do. I remember one of them. I think his name was... Uh... She, his sister said it at one point, Matt, that was the only one I could remember. All right, cool. Which one's Matt? (laughs) He's one of them. He's one of them. So, so we got a 50, 50 shot of being right. All right. So I'm going to pay the movie a compliment. I love their meet you. Um, Whenever she comes over there to yell at him about, you know, playing his music loud, and also she's upset that her dog, uh, what is her dog's name, Molly, Maddie, something like uh, Molly, is pregnant and accuses his dog of, you know, getting her dog pregnant. But I actually like the chemistry of these two, especially in the early scenes whenever they're, especially when she's mad at him. I do think that the chemistry between the two leads is one of the better parts uh, of the movie. It's one of it's, they did a good job casting those two leads and they had enough chemistry to carry the movie. Yeah. I'm I'm actually going to agree with that. Um, And I, I, 
you know, cynical, cold-hearted Nicholas Sparks non-fan that I am, kind of was kind of rooting for these kids. But uh, unfortunately, they can't get together because she's got a she's got a finance boyfriend. She's she's dating Superman, uh, Tom Welling with no neck, uh, which you know it does just fall into the romantic drama cliche. You know this movie is just like you know if they took out one or two more of the steamier moments, this is a Hallmark movie. I mean, I take slight offense to that. But I will say, I do think a big a big part of that is they have to, it's just a way of serving the formulaic nature of most romantic comedies, which is guy and girl meet, or they already know each other. They have a moment, something bad happens that gets in the way of their relationship. And then you have the third act, uh, you know, conf uh, confession of love and the movie's over, which I will agree with you that this movie does tend to have a fourth act that is unexpected. Yeah, which we'll, we'll get into in a minute. But but when I said, you know, it was kind of a Hallmark movie, I didn't necessarily mean that as an insult because it is a, because you just said, you know, my point, it's formulaic. You have to have that foil. And in this case, it's you know, Tom Welling for for a while at least. Still there? <laughs> okay, you got quiet. I was like, "Oh, did my computer freeze again?" <laughs> okay, but you know, and you know, I don't really want to insult Tom Welling. I like I, you know, I've never been a big fan like. I gave Smallville a chance and abandoned it like after four episodes. I know, I know people love that show. I just, it just, I didn't get it. One for me. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, you know, he played a small role in this movie, but I still, I still enjoyed the role that he played. And while it was very, um, you're right, it was very prototypical and very cliche of these type of movies. He was. He was the boyfriend. He was the, you know, for the film, he's a, a means to an end. But I still think yeah. he did a good job serving his purpose. Yeah, well, he. this is going to come off as insulting, and maybe it is a little bit. He did a good job in a basically nothing part. Like, his, he is there to just be the boyfriend, the fiancé, you know, the thing standing in the way of Travis, our main character, getting what he yeah, which is very, I mean, it's just kind of, he's the opposite, not the opposite, but he's the other end because essentially, you know, Monica plays the same role just for Travis. And and to be honest, there's more, to, in my opinion, there's more to Tom Welling's character than there is Monica. She's just there to show up and everyone goes, oh, look, Monica's back. That's... You know, I actually kind of disagree with that, uh, only in the sense of typically where these movies, and, and they do this in television shows too, these characters exist in television shows as well. Um, typically, I don't like them, especially where, when they're women. I know that's, I know that's slightly, slightly sexist, but typically I tend to like them less when they're women. But I think she served an important role in this movie, and I thought that she did a good job with it if nothing else just the scene she had with travis where she explained to him why he needed to go after gabby and so i do think that served kind of an important purpose in the movie yeah but at the same time most of what she said could have come from his sister as well um i do like i do like uh maggie grace a lot in this movie and um another character another actor popping up <laughs> I love to say slumming it, uh, but Tom Wilkinson shows up as his dad, gentleman English actor Tom Wilkinson slumming it with a, a barely passable southern accent. And he was he. I thought he was one of the uh, one of my favorite parts in the movie. Yeah, I kind of liked him a lot too because you know 
he and Travis have a good relationship, even though a lot, a lot of things they don't see eye to eye when it comes to faith, reality versus, you know, like there's a point where a little girl's, because they're both veterinarians, they work together, and a little girl's lizard died, and Tom Wilkinson's just like, here, go give her this new alive lizard and say a miracle happened. And I and I get where both guys are coming from. Like at a certain point, children do need to hear about the concept of death and things like that. But at the same time, why would you break a little girl's heart instead of just giving her a new lizard and just being like, hey, here you go. You know, and I think that was kind of nice because in some ways, Travis learned to see things. Well, he benefited from learning to see things from his father's point of view. Yeah. Because, uh, as the movie will explain, uh, Tom Wilkinson's wife in the film uh, passed away from cancer, and he went hardcore into religion for comfort, whereas Travis was just mad at the world. And instead of fighting him, they just he they just learned to live with each other. Which kind of leads into one of my favorite parts of the movie, which is the scene where Travis and Gabby actually first get together. Um, you know, I thought it was one of the better versions of that scene because for as fast as Travis and Gabby's relationship had to develop just due to the timing of the movie, the actual relationship had to develop pretty quickly. And I thought they did a good job of it because they drug out that scene in a way that made it feel more realistic and they had as he as he called it the god conversation and i i just like the way that they did it i thought it was very um it's a very realistic way in which a, a conversation like that could have gone so and that moment kind of starts their relationship uh i mean that's the that's the scene in which it really starts to develop i I actually think it happens like a scene or two before, like whenever uh, he invites her to go on the boat trip with uh, his sister and their nameless friends. Uh, whenever they get a moment together and they're just kind of playfully picking at each other and throwing sand at each other, it's like that to me is the moment, like the relationship has officially begun. Yeah, not to get to this uh, to get to this too soon, but that is actually one of my favorite parts. Not not even the interaction between her and Travis, but the interaction between her and Travis's sister Steph, because that's the moment where you kind of recognize Gabby's ability to see straight through him. Yeah. So I think that was and, an important key point. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna pay the movie another compliment. I. I love his line, you bother me to no end. Because that is a great substitute for I love you. So, I have a love-hate relationship with that line. And the, reason okay. I, and the reason I do, well, first off, I have to say, the reason I actually think that the, the scene, uh, after they get back from that day of boating, and he comes to her house, and they go to dinner, the reason I think that's kind of the start of the development of their relationship is because that's the first time she really breaks in the sense of she stops saying no and she finally says yes. And that's the first time he throws out the you bother me, which I think for that scene works great. And I even think later on in the movie when he proposes, it works as well. But I think they go to that well too many times. That's what really bothers me about it. It was cute the first time. It was cute the second time. But the continued use of it, I think, is sort of what took a little bit of the magic out of it for me. Well, I mean, but it's the, it's the rule of three. You got to repeat it like at least three times. But also at the very end, when she says it to him, you know, it's, it's I think it's a great call. So do you want to get, oh, um, one more thing I did. Well, we can actually put this in our things we liked. Um, column. Do we want to get to the moment where I turned on the movie? Okay, so this movie is basically a very tight 80 minute, 85 with credits, romantic drama. 
where the choice is is on Gabby between you know her rugged and you know annoying neighbor who she clearly is into or her or her fiance with no neck. And I thought that's what the choice was, but no, no, this is Nicholas Sparks. No, there's got to be tragedy. So the movie gets, so she breaks it off with Tom Welling, goes back to her parents' house. He goes after her um, and proposes, which I know you didn't, you weren't a big fan of the proposal, right? Uh, actually, well, I have mixed feelings on the proposal. Let me put it that way. Okay. Well, well. anyway, she eventually says yes, and they get married, and there's a nice little montage of their life together where, you know, they're married, they get, they have two children, uh, his sister gets a nameless fiancé and is pregnant. Um, then there's an accident. They were supposed to meet for dinner. He got an emergency at the clinic and was running late. She got tired of waiting. So she's driving and it's very wet and stormy. And boom, out of nowhere, a car T-bones her. And which I got to admit for the first time since I saw that movie, I, whenever the accident happened, I jumped because uh, about a year ago, I myself was T-boned in a car in a wreck and I still have a little PTSD so, and she's in a coma and the, and actually on life support. And so the choice becomes whether or not to turn her off or on. Now, this isn't necessarily the moment I truly turned on the movie. I'm actually still kind of going with it. It's after a hurricane blows through and he find, and the dog finds some wind chimes so he gets in his little boat and rows up to this little private island that he's only ever showed Gabby and hangs them up. And it's whenever the wind starts blowing through the, the wind chimes, he knows she's awake. And she's awake and she can talk and walk with no problems after being in a coma for over 90 days. And I just am like, this is stupid. And it ruined so much of the goodwill this movie actually was building up. Because I was actually going with this movie for the majority of the time. And it was just like, I can't go with this anymore. <laughs> you know, it's so interesting because I saw it. I, I don't remember when I first saw the movie, but I think it, I think it's maybe it was knowing Nicholas Sparks' style so well. Because this is the most recent of his films that I have seen, I think. And it's actually the most recent uh, project from him. Yeah, so it's it's definitely the most recent one of his I've seen. And when the movie starts out with Travis taking flowers to the to the hospital, I, I already had a feeling that's what the choice was. Mostly because, well, it makes sense that her choice between him and, and Ryan would be impactful and would change your life. I... The movie paints it in a way that it's not nearly as big of a choice as the one that he had to make. And so in a way, yeah. I kind of liked it because the movie being titled Choice, I think I would have been frustrated had the only choice been between her and the guy that she obviously was not that into. Yeah. Well, uh, I think I would have been fine with it because um, I was because it would be like, well, that's just a generic title. Like, you know, the thing, the room, you know. Does this really have to mean anything? And, and to be fair, you know, the first few times I watched this movie, I didn't see the wind, chi the wind chime thing as him all of a sudden knowing that she was awake. I don't know why, but I guess I just kind of assumed that happened. He felt like it was her, but he gets on his boat and he gets, I just assumed he got a phone call. And no, that's why he rushed uh, to the hospital. I mean, I know they don't show it, but. I, I got it on the first time I saw it. And I think I audibly said, no, in the theater. <laughs> it, it, yeah, that is by far and away not my yeah. not my biggest issue with this film. It was the it was the discovery that water can kill the aliens from signs moment. It's just like what? I like signs, but at the same time, it's just like these aliens have been running around in an atmosphere that is mostly water, and that's what kills them. They should have been dead the second they stepped off the ship. 
It should have been War of the Worlds. Well, every, you know, honestly, every movie has something. And as far, you know, so one of my second biggest issues with the film comes from the proposal scene. So I said I had mixed feelings on it. Well, when he, sh- so they, they, bro- they've broken up because uh, she wasn't sure whether or not she wanted to tell Ryan about them. So they split up and she moves back to Charleston with her parents and Travis shows up at her house and proposes. Now, what I like about that scene is I think, I think it's a good scene. I think he makes a great proposal. I think it's twofold. One being that they've only known each other really for a month. And I think the other issue I have is, well, on a personal level, I find the way he proposed very cute with him continue with her continually saying no and him continually saying yes. I can see how some women might not find that level of persistence as endearing as I did. Yeah, I mean, I get that, but at the same time, I'm not going to pretend like I wasn't laughing every time they were going, they're having their back and forth, because that was sort of another return of the things I really liked, which was the combative relationship they had that was also cute. Yeah, it, uh, to be fair, I think it was par for the course for their relationship, and so it, it didn't bother me that much, but it was something that did cross my mind. Yeah. And also, she did kind of run off to uh, her parents' house after seeing her with a seeing him with Maggie again or Monica, and it, it's one of those things in movies that could have been solved had they just had like a two second conversation. Well, pretty much all romantic comedies would not exist if the film consisted of them actually having an adult normal conversation. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> Yeah. So you want to get into things we liked? All right. You go first since this is your movie. Okay. So there was, there was a couple things that, I mean, I liked the movie as a whole, but uh, one of the, one of my favorite parts is something that you actually already mentioned, which was Gabby and Travis's first interaction. Um, Because I think that's the moment his interest was definitely first sparked because I think he just liked her, her attitude and I also loved every interaction with his sister. I liked how from the first moment that she knew. Uh, so I thought that was I thought that was one of those better meet cutes. And I liked any interaction between Travis and his sister, uh, including the very one of the very last scenes they had where he was visiting his mother's grave. Yeah. I just thought they had a very good relationship that was she was a well developed side character. I yeah, I agree with all of that. And you know, I kind of see what can I add to that? Um I really liked uh whenever they uh ended up at the church that is at his dad's church, that it was this, you know, mostly African American church, but also, you know, there were some white people there and the fact that they were just uh singing uh feeling all right by traffic as the choir was like i kind of like i kind of dug that because if i know that the first time i watched it i'm like this is a very very progressive church and it's like and then when you get into the reason why they picked that song on that particular day because it was his late wife's birthday that made it more much more meaningful I also like uh, the birthday dinner whenever with the cake smashing. I thought that was cute. Yeah. And uh, neither of us have mentioned it yet, but the dogs. Oh, yes. Definitely. Two to five of the cutest dogs ever. Yeah, and really, honestly, and they touched on it at the end of the movie, the dogs were the reason they kind of met in the first place. Yeah. Exactly. Even though, uh, and we can t- start tying this into things that sucked, because um, she accuses his dog of getting her dog pregnant, but Matt, but his dog was neutered. So who got who got her dog pregnant? <laughs> yeah, they they don't touch on that at all. But yeah. it, you have a feeling because you look at those puppies, mm-hmm. and it just made it definitely made me wonder about the the father. Of those puppy, because they definitely did not look like Molly at all. 
Yeah. All right. Whatever breed Thanks. it was, it kind of made me feel like that the the director of the movie was just get puppies, whatever puppies you can find. I'm not gonna lie. That's probably the majority of decisions made made on sets. Just like, just get something. Like, uh, I one time was working on a screenplay, and I uh, had a character. I said, the character is carrying a gun, and the person reading it is like, "What kind of gun is it? This model, this model." And it's just like, dude, they're just gonna grab whatever gun they happen to have. This is not that big of a deal. <laughs> we don't need to know specifics. Because um, everyone likes to talk about, because some people love to put all kinds of detail in the world in the screenplays, and meanwhile, Alien, the third best movie ever made, it just there's scenes that just say the alien runs down the hall, and they figure it out on set. So, what parts of this movie did you not like? Well, we've already covered the big one. I I also hate the opening line about life being about the secret of life being about decisions and i and i certainly hated that we heard it twice because that movie that line just lands like a brick oh that that happens to be one of my favorite parts of the movie i love that we're <laughs> just like i hate this you know you love it not when i saw it in theaters i was just like that is worst opening line I've ever heard and I've heard worse in retrospect but I turn I remember when I went to see it I had turned on the movie five minutes in and then it sort of built me back up only to lose me again at the end <laughs> um I, believe it or not uh, I don't know why but to me it was reminiscent of the opening one of the one of the most important lines in remember me so I think I think that's which I love that movie, and so I think that's why I liked it. Is that another Nicholas Sparks? It is not. Oh, oh yeah, that's the one you keep toying with about putting. On we definitely list. need to. I think we definitely need to cover because it is the it is the movie that did it. It two, did two things. Um, made me realize the caliber of actor that Robert Pattinson actually is and how underrated he can be. And it is the only movie where I actually like Pierce Brosnan because I am not a fan at all. And I will actively avoid movies he's in just because I don't enjoy looking at him. But Golden Eyes is an American classic or British, British classic. Because he's playing James Bond, and James Bond can be tolerated. All right. I don't... No matter... Okay, so that's my biggest gripe. Because anything else really is just nitpicky crap. You know, it's your standard, by-the-numbers road romantic drama. I mean... I'm not going to nitpick every line. Like the first line hit with a thud, but it got better. And it's really just that part at the end. Like I said, it's discovering water kills the aliens and signs. It's like, it was that level of dumb to me. And the entire fate of a movie that I, Otherwise, might have given a passing grade was is totally in that moment's hands. Yeah, that's you know that's interesting because where science was concerned, the water thing didn't bother me because I thought the water thing tied everything together. I mean, the whole point of the movie was kind of trying to prove this point, and the water did that. Now, in this case, I agree with you in the sense of the wind, you know, rustling the wind chimes. <laughs> Did nothing really to advance any uh, kind of overarching point the movie was trying to make. And meanwhile, it was killing it for me. I was just like, no, no, this is not happening. Oh, this is happening. Well, the things I didn't like are really it's twofold. So the first thing is that unfortunately, whether it was the actor himself or which I really did like 
um, I really did like Travis. Or he was exaggerating his accent. His accent ruined probably what otherwise would have been my two favorite scenes in the movie, which were their fight outside of Dockside, the cafe they went to. After Ryan returns and Gabby meets up with his parents, Travis happens to see them there. And as he leaves, Gabby follows him out and they have an argument. Well, first off, the fact that Ryan was completely oblivious to the that she just followed Travis out of the restaurant was a little bit of an oversight that was felt a little bit unbelievable to me. But apart from that, just that otherwise could have been a great scene that his accent completely ruined. And the same can be said for me of the proposal. I, I think my issue with that scene, whenever she follows him out of Dockside, it's just like, what do you say when you go back to that table? Like, you've obviously been crying and you just randomly ran away without explaining where you were going. You didn't even drop the, I gotta go to the bathroom, like, right now. <laughs> that moment could have been fixed with, I need to run to the restroom, because she literally leaves right after Travis does. And the yeah, fact that that is yeah. not at all suspicious, especially after her behavior at the carnival when uh, Ryan and Gabby run into Travis and Monica and she acts very awkwardly and then just kind of throws in, Oh, and he's my neighbor. Yeah. So the fact that Ryan did not put those two things together. Well, you know, whatever's happening to his neck is constricting the blood flow to his brain. So he wasn't picking up on things. And the other major thing was this movie, in my opinion, had a massive timeline flaw. Uh, it starts out with, with Travis going to visit Gabby at the hospital before you know what happens. And then it does a reverse to seven years prior. Well, when we get to where Gabby and, or Gabby actually has the accident, it is clear to me that her children are more than five and six years old. So the timeline makes no sense to me whatsoever. And that doesn't bother me that much because there's an entire decade's worth of horror movies where 30-year-olds are playing teenagers. So it's a minor issue. It would have been so easy. It's such a simple fix. It, either you get children that look younger or for the sake of the movie, I know it differs from the book, you make the timeline longer. You know, it would have been it would have been believable had they added two or three years. Yeah. So it was one of those minor things that just tended to bug me. Well, but did it bug you a, a lot? Let's find out. Sammy, did you survive? I absolutely <laughs> survived. Um, in fact, this is I'm going to go ahead and rank it on my Nicholas Sparks list. It is in a fight with another movie for second place. So it is either second or third on my list, depending on my mood. Okay. So I guess it's my turn to answer, answer that question. Um, so I got to answer that question with a question. Does one incredibly stupid decision ruin an entire film? Because, like I said, I was pretty much going with this movie. And the just wind chimes just took it out of, of me. But do I hold wind chimes against a movie that, to be perfectly honest, 85% of it I liked? I mean, if this is a test in high school... 85 is a completely passing grade, but that mo moment just ruins it for me. But it, but I think as a whole, with the chemistry between Walker and Palmer, with Maggie Grace being who she is, with Tom Welling and Tom Wilkinson doing what they did, and the fact that there are some really good lines here and really good moments. I think what I'm ultimately going to be doing, and I can't believe I'm saying this, is I survived. I, I was so furious at the end of this movie when the first time I saw it. This time on the rewatch, 
I still think it's incredibly stupid, the wind chimes well. But it wasn't as jarring for me, and it wasn't as just taking me out of it. And I think part of it is because I was prepared for it to happen. I knew it was coming. And in fact, for a moment, I was even questioning, like, did that even really happen? You you know, I think in this case that you're right, it's, it's not fair to hold that moment against it. But I can't say anything. I endings very short endings to movies have completely ruined them for me see la la land well we'll we'll table the la la land discussion for another day it's fair <laughs> to give it a second chance because movies like that you know once i know that it's coming i'm generally less angry about the ending part of my reason for why occasionally i will read the endings of books not all the time just to see if it's worth my time because I'm going to hate the ending. Generally, it's going to ruin the whole thing. So I understand where you're coming from. Yeah. And, and you know, to defend signs, I like 85% of signs. But, you know, the fact that the miracle of water killing them didn't kill them immediately whenever they stepped out into the atmosphere, which basic science is like, there's water in the atmosphere. But... But you know, at the same time, that doesn't that doesn't take away totally from the fact that signs had you on the edge of your seat for a lot of moments. Now, it is the beginning of the downfall of M. Night Shyamalan, which he's kind of had a comeback. I haven't been super impressed with a lot of what he's done. I think he's still still struggling to do the twist thing. And I know this is a conversation for another day on literally any of those movies, but I mean, I still, I still like science for the most part. I have to say, apparently this is an unpopular opinion, which I only found out recently, but I mean, I'm a huge fan of the movie. It's one of my, it's one of my favorites. It's one of my favorites in just a general genre of thrillers. And I think it's my personal favorite of all of his movies. Um, that being said, I'm aware, although I have not finished it, that Sixth Sense is probably his best. Either that or um, Unbreakable. 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 Yeah, Unbreakable is my number one. Um, Sixth Sense is great, uh, but on rewatch, it does slowly start to diminish. But don't ask me, because I'm one of those people that, well, I'm not going to say I loved it. I did not hate The Village, and I will watch it on occasion. The village is ruined for me because as we were sitting down at the opening night premiere, a friend of mine elbowed me and said, Hey, wouldn't it be funny if instead of, Oh wait, I'm literally about to spoil that for you. You have seen it, right? Oh wait. Okay. Okay. I think it about 80% of the way through that movie. And at the end of the movie, I do not like, so a lot of times I won't even watch it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my best friend at the time hinted that it could be the very at the end was the very thing that it was, and I was just so furious. I I would be kind of curious to go back and watch uh, the village just because I hadn't seen it since that night. I want to know if, if it if the rest of the movie holds up. I I know the happening still holds up as one of the greatest comedies ever made. I just know that wasn't what they were going for. The Village has a stellar cast. I mean, with Joaquin Phoenix and, you know, it... Well, granted, I think the, he kind of carries that movie, but it has a good cast. But so does The Happening. I mean, it's got Marky Mark and New Girl. Where he talks to a plant. <laughs> So we normally end the podcast by talking about anything else that we are listening to or watching. So do you have anything to talk about? Okay, so life's been a little bit crazy the last week or so, and I haven't been able to watch anything that wasn't the first 20 minutes of this movie. Um, so I haven't really gotten to check out anything, um, you know, film or TV-wise. Uh, I got another 2020 album shot this week and i want to give a shout out to the album high tides and distant skies by the band night and i-g-h-t not k um they are a hard rock band from sweden 
and when they sing, they are very Swedish. Uh, but the sound of the album is very like 70s era, Blue Oyster Call, Deep Purple, that kind of, you know, not necessarily arena rock, but hard rock with kind of a dark edge, but not so, you know, it's not going to scare anyone. Uh, this is almost really cool. And if you like 70s era hard rock, I definitely recommend. And it kind of reminds me of the band Ghost a little bit. Uh, minus all the theatrical shtick that Ghost does, and it's just just good, solid hard rock stuff. Probably you know put in put it on in the car, get yourself doing eighty five down the freeway. So that's all I got. You got anything? Um, you know, not really. I have been watching a lot of. Um, I've been watching a lot of uh, Halloween stuff. Uh, I've been going back things to Disney Plus and just watching some old Halloween movies. And I did start rewatching Supernatural, but it's the only thing I have to talk about um, that I thought was pretty cool. You were, may not be interested at all, but there's a new Netflix. Um, I don't want to call it a reality TV show, um, and it's only 10 episodes. It's called The Home Edit, and it is only for people with my level of OCD, but it is these two women that uh, they're home organizers. That's what they do. And they started a product line. They've written a book on it. So this is just their show following what they do. And they went and they did Reese Witherspoon's closet and Khloe Kardashian's garage. Um, so they usually in the show, they'll do one celebrity and then they'll do one non-celebrity. Um, so it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool to see what they do to help people out um, and organize their lives for them. That sounds like something I would be incredibly frustrated watching. Yeah. Also, uh, do we want to take a moment to uh, talk about how much you love uh, Trivial Pursuit, the horror edition? Um, we can. I, I mean, I, honestly, I did love the game, yeah. despite the yeah. fact that I was terrible at it. So, so last week, literally after we were recording, uh, we went to hang out with some friends of ours, actually got to be around people, and... Uh, we played horror, horror version Trivial Pursuit, and I would like to just, except for this particular moment, point out that I have not bragged for an entire week that I won. Duly noted. Yeah. Like I, I have sat on that for nearly seven full days. Yeah, that being said, I still think I got I got bad luck because Sandy kept getting all the supernatural questions that I could have answered, and I kept getting questions about Japanese foreign films. Well, maybe we should start a podcast about Japanese horror films, and you can, you can crush that game next time. I am mentioning you to play it again. All right, well, uh, to wrap us up, make sure that you – Check us out um, on Facebook, Instagram, and yeah. uh, hopefully soon we will be on Apple Podcast. What do we have up for next week? Well, next week, you should be so excited because I get to take over for four weeks in a row. Because when we originally made the uh, schedule, we had anticipated releasing episodes on Monday. Now we're doing it on, them on Friday. So this is supposed to be the last episode of September, and now it's the first episode of October. So for the last four Fridays of the month, we're going to cover some horror movies that definitely fall within the definitions of chick flicks. We're gonna, and we're going to kick things off next week with the 1996 goth classic, The Craft. And um, if all works out well, I think we may actually have some guests next week. So you can hear some professionals and, you know, instead of us rambling. Yeah, and stop listening to us. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure that it will be questionable whether or not I will survive October. But December is only a couple of months away. And that movie, I mean, that month is all mine. This is true. And just remember, I have taken it. I'm taking it mostly easy on you this month. Whether or not you agree with that statement remains to be seen, but at least three-fourths of the movies I, I think you're going to be cool with, and then one 
I cannot wait to see your reaction to it. So that being said, though, the fact that I did not put any Hallmark movies on the list for December is me taking it easy. And I did not put any subtitles in October. So, in fact, I even put a Disney movie on the schedule somewhere in the mix. Yeah. Now, so. I may have put a Lifetime movie on the list, but that's neither here nor there. Well, we go on long enough. I'm going to end up putting a Lifetime movie on the list somewhere down the line as well. Perhaps next October because we haven't planned the next year. But, yeah. I... So, yeah, so next week, The Craft. And, Sammy, thank you once again for pushing this movie on to me. That I actually said we should probably do this. So Yes, so, I will continually remind you this was your choice. That is true. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening, and we will see you again next week.